everybody, this is Nathan here with Jake, and you're about to listen to what we call Sound of Sanity 1.0. Now, Jake, what do we mean when we say Sanity 1.0? Well, Sound of Sanity was a show we'd been wanting to do for a really long time, and we'd never really seen our way clear to getting it off the ground. Right, so one day we decided the best way to get it off the ground was just to sit down, hit record, three friends talking into microphones. Since that time, the show has changed and grown a whole lot. The modern version of Sound of Sanity really began to develop around episode 34 on Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah, there's some stuff we're really proud of in this early iteration of this show and some stuff we're possibly, probably, maybe not so proud of. But there's some good stuff and we wanted to leave these up. Plus, we thought it'd be fun for people who know the current show to go back and see how far the show's come. Yeah, fun and maybe sometimes a little humbling. No doubt. Anyway, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the current version of the show. That's right. And meanwhile, please enjoy this episode from the archives. We're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. The sound will continue for the duration of the program. The Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Robertson, your humble and obedient host, welcoming you to another episode and welcoming you to the Reformation. <laughs> that's our new, uh, that's Warhorn Media's new catchphrase. True or false, Jacob Menzel, Pastor Jacob Menzel, CEO of Warhorn Media. True. Benjamin Solzer, engineer extraordinaire. It's me. Welcome to the show, folks. Today, we're talking about the Gospel Coalition. Gospel Coalition, more like Gospel no Coalition. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to call this episode, but <laughs> Jake said, let's call it something good. And I said, all right, all right, we'll call it something good. Talking about the, the, the Gospel Coalition today. Yeah. Why are we talking about the Gospel Coalition, Jake? Because they are very opportunistic. They are very opportunistic. They are very opportunistic. They take every opportunity that they can. <laughs> That's a portmanteau. Who invented it? You'll never know. Yes, you will. It was me. Um, <laughs> that, well, we'll get to that portmanteau. That portmanteau is coming up later in the program, folks. You can be excited about that. But we wanted to read an article by the Gospel Coalition, the fine fellows and ladies. This is by a, a lady, I believe, named Miss Rebecca McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Ben, you've got the article pulled up. Tell us Miss McLaughlin's stats. Her, her stats? Her stats. I don't know what you mean by stats, Nathan. Yeah, you know, like her strength, weight. I, uh, oh, right. Yes. Her, yeah. X, the number of XP points she's she, accrued. She holds a PhD from Cambridge University and a theology degree from Oak Hill Seminary in London. She has addressed audiences ranging from professors to prisoners and spoken alongside leaders such as Andy Crouch and Paul Tripp, and she's a regular writer for the Gospel Coalition and has her own website. That's right. I've got a little history with her in that, well, we don't really have any history together, but she wrote an article, which I wrote an article in response to, which you can find on warhornmedia.com. It's entitled, Sorry, Gospel Coalition. <laughs> Doctor Who is not like Jesus Doctor or something Who is like not that. like Jesus. I did not come up with the title, <laughs> but uh, it's a fine title. I kind of wanted to call I this. I didn't come up with it either. No, 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 no. Jake didn't come mm, up with definitely it. Definitely not me. <laughs> <laughs> we really love this title. <laughs> Sorry, titler, if you're listening. All right, Ben, should we just read it? Do we want to set this up a little bit more, Jake? You, anything you want to say about this, about the Gospel Coalition? About I think the article speaks for itself. All right, let's hear it. This is title. 
Fifty Shades of Love. Fifty Shades of Love. We're just going to read bits of it so we don't do copyright. No, we don't want to violate any copyright. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's hear some Fifty, Sh- 50 Shades of Love. Sounds romantic. <laughs> Val- now it does, this, doesn't it? <laughs> Valentine's Day just came up. Oh, yeah. This article out. ran on February 13th, a day before Valentine's Day. The day before mm, Valentine's Day. Right. All right, then. Sure. So Fifty Shades Freed, the third installment of the infamous trilogy that began with Fifty Shades of Grey, is being eviscerated by critics. The first film traded on its transgressive concept, but a mainstream movie series pushing the boundaries of danger and erotic acceptability struggles to find itself when the third film begins with the protagonists getting married. While most of us long for a happy, stable, committed relationship, the routines of marriage are seldom the stuff of movies. Yet as much as this third film is apparently poorly executed, and I have no desire to watch it or its forerunners, the idea of this awkward move from transgressive eroticism to marriage can teach us something about the human condition. It is perhaps something those of us who identify as Christians and rightly champion marriage as the only context for sex will hesitate to acknowledge. Marriage is ultimately unsatisfying. Well, then she goes on to talk about how well, the heading is, the next section is, marriage is not meant to fully satisfy. In marriage, you have an imperfect human being who's who's your lover, but really, Jesus is, is your lover, because he's... <laughs> Jesus she does call him your lover. She, so you better, she you does, might wanna, that's, she does that's actually her, say... That would be a choice quote, to, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, let, let me find it here. Yeah, but when we look to our immortal lover... The good we have in our marriage deepens and becomes better because it is part of a larger love story. And Jesus is our immortal lover. That's the idea. Oh, I I have to read this other line. He can literally take us to the moon and back and fulfill every dreamy metaphor of every love poem ever written. Whoa. And Rebecca McLaughlin says, that's the answer. Do you want, you know, transgressive sex? Do you want more out of your marriage? Well, the answer is to look to your immortal lover. <laughs> if, you're, if you're attracted to Christian Grey, you should exchange Christian Grey for, for... Christian love. Uh-huh. Christian love. Christian love. Capital C, and capital L. That's how she... Yeah, yeah. And 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 so she she ends her article by emphasizing what Jake just said, and then and she does it in her own inimitable way through a verse that through she the, wrote yeah. for Valentine's Day. So let's summarize the article up to this point. Jake, how would you summarize the article up to this point? Uh, so Fifty Shades of Grey is a thing. Right. Slightly related to that is the topic of marriage, which nobody finds ultimately satisfying until they make Jesus their lover who can take them to the moon and back and fulfill every sexual metaphor for them in every love poem ever written. Yep. Now that's a good summary of the article. What's a nice summary of the article? Like if we were going to, because, uh, you know, I, uh, we're going to giggle. I'm right, going to not he, be able to help he, stop he, myself he, from laughing, he, but he, I want people, the best, I want the best to be spin, as fair as possible. The best spin, okay. Yeah. I think that was actually a fair summary I think it was article. too. Yeah. But here's the best spin I can put on it. Fifty Shades of Grey is trying to tap into a longing that people have for intimacy that can only be fulfilled in intimacy with Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. Yep. Yes. Yep. But it's really, I mean, 50, Fifty Shades doesn't really even have... I think it's just there to be in the title. Right, it's a nice clicky kind of title. People might be getting basically to see. like if you if you long for sex or marriage or intimacy, no matter how transgressive or biblical, it's only fulfilled in Jesus. That's the yeah, that's pretty much it. That's it. We, 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 yeah. we're, we're literally not allowed to read the whole article because we might be violating copyright, even with fair use. I don't know. We don't want to risk it. But you can read the whole article. We'll link to it in the show notes. She never really gets into what might be good about Christian marriage as opposed to Christian gray marriage. Or what's evil or bad about anything about Fifty Shades. No, she really doesn't 
the point of the article really isn't, and I think she might even admit this, it's not really about Fifty Shades. Fifty Shades is just the hook to get you interested in, in an article that's ultimately just about we find you our fulfillment Jesus. in Jesus. And so whether you're looking for transgressive eroticism like that. But she phrase, does end with a po- uh, 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 yes. some verse that she wrote in that may be the place where she's most explicitly dealing with Fifty Shades of Grey. And Mr. Benjamin Sulzer, in his inimitable, in, 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 in a, inimitable. inimitable style now, will share that poetry with our listeners. I will gladly share it, Nathan. Okay, here we go. Though they market 50 hues of that monochrome abuse, study love and you will find love is patient, love is kind. Love won't envy, boast, or bait. Love does not manipulate. (laughs) Love won't push you into bed. Assault your mind. Mess with your head. Love will treat you with respect. Cherish, honor, care, protect. Not delight in your disgrace, but give his life up in your place. Feeling wanted may entice, but love is seen in sacrifice. So don't be fooled by Christian Grey when Christian love wants you today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't be fooled oh mandy can you imagine how many people have been pulled back from their desire for a christian gray by reading that beautiful bit of verse <laughs> I, i'm trying to imagine <laughs> i myself just this morning i was like you know i i'm i'm ready to give myself to some transgressive eroticism <laughs> and then i read that beautiful poem and i thought you know what's the last line ben christian love wants you today but what about the, what was the, what's no. the second line? So don't be fooled by Christian Grey. I was, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be fooled by Christian Grey. No transgressive eroticism for me. Or regular aggressive marital eroticism either. No, none of that. None of that. That's a very strong uh, exhortation. What's the point uh, of the poem? Oh, the point of the, the poem? Did the you say poem? 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 poem. Did you just say poem? I didn't. Poem? Poem. How many syllables in the word poem? Two. Two? Let's hear it. Poem. 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 Does that sound weird to you, the way he says it? Poem. If you say anything enough times, it sounds weird. Poem? So. <clears throat> no, but, but Ben says poem. Poem. I, poem. I, what? I say, my dear fellow. You poetry. Poem. 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 That's what you're saying. Poem. You should just say poem. I think I should say poem. <sighs> All right, let's talk about this. Article by the Gospel Coalition. Was it called Fifty Shades of Love? Love. Fifty Shades of Love. Fifty Shades of Love. Oh, guys, I don't know how where to start talking about this. I guess we talk about pop culture on our podcasts and stuff. The Warhorn Media, Sound of Sanity, specifically Sound of Sanity. This program, you know, we're always we we like to talk about pop culture. Yeah, pop culture is kind of our. Our shtick, our thing. I wrote that article about Star Wars once that was really popular. Mm-hmm. And then we did a, an episode on Star Wars that, that was, was maybe our most too. downloaded episode of Sound of Sanity ever. Yep. I guess we're not opposed to pop culture being someone's beat or someone's shtick as a... Part of the premise of this show and the way that we approach this stuff is that art is powerful and it should be taken seriously. It should be put in its place, so not taken too seriously. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, we're we're not trying to redeem the culture through the arts or anything like that. But we do understand the power of the arts in terms of shaping how people think and how people feel. And so we do want to engage with the art that people are constantly consuming and engaging out there. And we want to help people think about the art they consume in a discerning way. That is what we are trying to do. P- 
people are going to watch Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And so we want to help people think about Star Wars. Right. In a way that is biblical and discerning and helpful to them. As Christians, we can't consume anything in a passive way as though it's just a thing. It's just a story that you just sit back and eat your popcorn. Uh, which isn't to say that you don't have fun and that you don't enjoy it for what it is, but it is to say that you better know what it is that you're enjoying and what's bad about that thing. So here's the Gospel Coalition, and they're doing the same thing. And it makes me condescendingly giggle at them. Well, Why? Uh, because they're not doing the same thing. I don't think they're doing the same thing. That's not what this is. That's not what almost any of the pieces, if you can find one, point me to it. Yeah, I, maybe maybe they can. Maybe somebody could. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm say it, that, that might be a callable there are, a lo- there are lots of authors that write for the Gospel Coalition, and there are lots of pieces on the Gospel Coalition. It's impossible to keep up with all of them. And frankly, I'm not interested in keeping up with much of any of them. No, because you know that they'll let this one by, and this one's terrible. I mean, there's no mincing words about this. There's no, we can be kind of coy and sarcastic about it as long as we want. But this article is just really like nonsense. Mm-hmm. That's my podcast appropriate word for what this article is. It's it's bad. They, they tend to have the same sort of shtick. Mm-hmm. And it's what is popular in the culture right now and it, will get us clicks. This is, we should probably bring in our, our amazing portmanteau that we coined, Poppertoonism. Yeah, they're being opportunistic, right? Yeah, ben? that's right. Nathan. Now, what do you think that the word opportunism means? Some something like I'm going to define it. Opportunism, but yeah, Jake should just define so it. It's a portmanteau of of pop, which stands for popular, and opportunism, which stands for opportunity. Here it is. Here's my on-the-fly definition. When you opportunistically take advantage of something in the pop culture in order to get clicks and likes and shares, you cram it into a formula that you have. Yep. That's pretty much that's what they do. That's pretty much what it is. And you can see it's not just the Gospel Coalition. You can see lots of Christians and, of course, lots of pagans, too. They don't really have a lot to say about this thing or that thing, but it's a popular thing. It's something that's trending on social media. It's something that people are talking about. It's And so you do, you do your little hot take and, you know, how many articles have we all in our time, whether it's Gospel Coalition or many, many other websites, Christian and Pagan, clicked on, realized they have absolutely nothing to say. They've simply created an empty package. All they've done is, all they've done is uh, Jesus juked you. Right. Right, and that's what—that's basically what it, most any article that you see that's like this. That's what it is. You better define Jesus duking because I didn't know what it was when you first brought it up today. Well, in this case, it's this splashy thing in pop culture has something vaguely to do with sex and marriage. Here's Jesus who will fulfill every <laughs> sexual and intimate longing that you have. Fly you to the moon for crying out loud. Yeah, so it's the the formula is really simple. This piece of pop art that you're interested in or that you think your your niece or nephew or grandson will be interested in taps into a longing that is only ultimately satisfied in Jesus. And so we put the splashy pop culture thing in the title, we tip our hat to it at the beginning, and we identify the one thing that is the desire that everybody's really looking for in that. We lump everybody together, Christians and non-Christians alike, into a category of all longing for this thing that's only ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And And we have a fair use reason to grab a picture of steamy Dakota Johnson and whatever the guy that plays Christian Gray and looking longingly into each other's eyes. And we can make that'll be clicky too. That'll be clicky too. And so, boom, now now we feel relevant and now we'll get clicks and shares because everybody wants to feel like they're relevant and to feel like they know what's going on, but also to feel like they got the better answer in Jesus. And so, over and over and over again. Here's the thing that was good about this thing, that this movie, it, it was tapping into this reality. Now, here's Jesus 
or here's the gospel, or here's grace in a way that more fulfillingly and satisfyingly taps into these needs that this movie is trying to, in one way or another, play off of or appeal to. And it could be Wonder Woman. Is humanity worth saving? There's sin and there's innocence and, and we need a savior. And it doesn't matter if that savior is a woman who runs around in her underwear and fights the Nazis, as we're fond of saying. Mm -hmm. None of that matters. All that matters is that it taps into a little bit of depravity, a little bit of hope, a little bit of redemption, and boom. See, look, this is a place where you are longing for this thing that's fulfilled in Jesus. And that's a good thing that you're looking for that, but it's fulfilled in Jesus. And the, the filmmakers behind these movies, guess what? They know that people have a problem with sin and the need for hope and redemption and movies play off of that all the yeah, time. It's, it's hard not to because it's built into the human condition. <laughs> this kind of thing drives me nuts. It's it, We've talked about it before, but it's where the whole world is saying, we made a movie where we were using Gal Gadot's femininity to sell the idea that women should be a certain way. And then Christians are like, it's about... Redemption. Jesus, re redemption. And the pagans are like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Christians are like, well, you just don't understand how it is. We, we understand this movie better than you do. I think we're still living in like, you go back to the 1940s, the Catholic moral majority. There was actually a Catholic censorship office that all the movies went through. Like we, I think we may have talked about a little bit with Casablanca. There was actually a time where the pagans had to package this stuff as Christian. And then maybe, I mean, not really, but maybe you could forgive a Christian for engaging with it as though it had that worldview. But now the pagans don't have to pretend like they're doing anything but making propaganda for the stuff that they believe in. So and, they're and saying they do, and they do it explicitly and they say it and, and then they, they write the articles other. And, and, and Cosmo Pocketbolitan magazine says and they talk about Wonder it Woman. and then they talk about how they're going to affect the plebes who won't read these articles. You know, and it will change the culture down the line. And then Christians it will are move like, the ball down the line. It's, it's, uh, I'm gonna eat my popcorn and enjoy this Jesus. thing and figure out the closest path to the gospel or to Jesus from this thing. So just to save off a potential objection here, just because you see a wonderful website, like let's say, for example, warhornmedia.com. Ben, that's a good website. It's, it's a good one. Just because you see a website that's using pop culture, that's appealing to your desire to know and be informed and be discerning about pop culture, it doesn't necessarily mean they're being opportunistic. You can actually write an article. Now, I don't know that anybody's written it. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. I haven't bothered to find out. Bet you Doug but Wilson has. Probably, but yes, yeah, I has. think actually maybe he has. You could write a good article about, I'm not going to try and write it right now out loud, but you could write a good article about Fifty Shades of Grey. That's not opportunistic. Okay, no, the, the fact is people in Churches across the United States are watching and reading mm. Fifty Shades of Grey. Sure. Mm. And somebody's got to show them what's wrong about that. Fifty Shades of Grey is just complete trash. It's totally wicked. The fact is our churches are so debauched that people in our churches are reading them. And so that's the world that we live in. So that's not to mention the pagan environments that we work in and live in. And I remember when the first Fifty Shades of Grey came out, I was working a job with some, oh, I shouldn't, go, I shouldn't get into it. But the point is, I was round for conversations between women who were talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, talking about what was popular about it. I remember one woman saying, oh, well, you know, I'd, I'd let a man beat me if he took me on helicopter rides, too. I mean, I remember that being a cute little argument that my, the workmates were having around the water cooler. And I was just like, gee, I, uh, I wish some Christian would, <laughs> you know, it would have been nice to have a, a, good, a couple good handles on how to talk about it, on what to, how to deal with it. But all... 
all a opportunistic article will give you is is the ability to do a Jesus juke, which is I see that you long for intimacy. That intimacy can only be satisfied and fulfilled in Jesus, and that's all that you're given. Right, that's not helpful. For that, when when for my that workmate says, "Ah, oh, man." If a dude's rich enough, then he can spank me. I can't just say, Jesus! <laughs> you know? Nope. The Gospel Coalition hasn't done any work to help me understand. So there's two things that she could potentially have done with this article. Number one, she could somehow use 50 Shades, and I think this would be almost impossible, but let's just say for hypothetically, she could somehow use 50 Shades of Grey to make me understand Jesus and the broader theological truths better. Well, she hasn't done that. She hasn't done that. The other thing that she could do is actually write an article dealing with Fifty Shades of Grey, which is what I think the actual helpful good article would probably be. She hasn't done that either. She's just she's just waved a little magic wand called Jesus. And I hate to talk that vainly about him, but I I want to because it's what she's doing. Yeah, it. I mean, it really in some kind of what we want to accuse articles of this of doing is really taking the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. Hmm. What does Jesus have to do with Fifty Shades of Grey? Well, the, what, 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 what he has to do with it is that all your gross fantasies point to Jesus, as it turns out. No, some That's, of them don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> some of but them, the longings behind them do. The longings behind them do, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so really anything... You know, any that that's the thing about this poppertunism is you can take anything and you can say, well, it's depraved, so therefore it points to our desires for Jesus. Or it's good, but it's not as good as Jesus. <laughs> is there desire involved somewhere? One way or another, that desire amounts to <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> On what level, I mean, is it true that we are we're human beings and we're misdirecting our desires? <laughs> completely true. Doesn't make the article any better. You know what I mean? Yes, there is a desire that is only fulfilled in God that people try and pour all kinds of wicked things into. Absolutely. It is true. It is true that every desire for intimacy is a longing for the intimacy that was broken by the fall. Intimacy with Mm -hmm. God that was broken by the fall and intimacy with man that was broken by the fall. All our relationships can't be what they would have been if they were untainted by sin. But you could do this with any art. The, the, the dumb thing is, like, I could write, I could take an article about Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, some serial killer, and say, when he cut off people's heads, what he was really desiring was the intimacy that can only be found in God. Would that be a helpful article? I don't think that would be a helpful article. I don't think article. it would be a no. helpful article. It's I'm, a little unhelpful and disturbing that you even went there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just trying to think of the grossest example of what she's doing, because it is true that you could take anything from the most depraved to the most innocuous. That's right. Apply this stupid formula to it. That's right. So I'm sorry, it is disturbing, but I, I don't know. I thought maybe it would be helpful because she could actually do that. And that's I think that's what she's done here. She's taken something that the only real answer to it is just don't. It's wicked. It's pornography. Well, this article is pretty dumb. Mm. I'm dusting my hands in triumph. I think we can probably be done with this episode, right, fellas? Sure, yeah. Yeah, opportunism loses. We have successfully been anti-opportunistic. Down with opportunism. Up with real discernment. What do we want? Lunch? Discernment. When do we want it? Now. <laughs> oh, right, discernment. I said lunch, but I also want discernment. <laughs> You'll get your lunch. Both. Well, and you have to understand, Ben, your desire for lunch <laughs> While it might seem very real, will that lunch ultimately satisfy you? Oh, no. You'll be get hungry again, won't you? Yeah. But hmm. you really understand. I don't even want to finish it because it <laughs> is blasphemous. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. All right. I'm glad we. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, the goodness. devil's advocacy alarm. Oh, I knew it. Earth. I knew it. Okay, I don't think the devil's going to be able to... I knew it have to wait for lunch. I don't think that... No. Yeah, sorry, Ben. You're going to have to put off that lunch. That's, what I'm just, that's okay. You'll understand your own your own human uh, longing okay, better. Okay, good. Oh, good. It'll help you have Great. a deeper understanding Fantastic. of blah, blah, blah. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes my passive aggressiveness expresses itself as aggressive aggressiveness, folks. Um... Well, this article seems to me to be pretty self-evidently bad. I don't think the devil can really bring any arguments, so I'm not too worried about it. Is anybody who wants to be the devil for this? Uh, the, the devil's advocate alarm, folks. By the way, it's a part of the show. If you're just listening for the first time, where someone has to play the devil's advocate and they advocate for the opposite position of what we've been saying. Jake, you look like I'm a m- ready and willing to do it. All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts oh, chapter wow. 17. Putting on his pastor's collar and everything. Oh boy. For this. <clears throat> Acts 17. Acts 17. That's right. Today we will be uh, studying a passage where the Apostle Paul went to a little place called Athens. Uh oh. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> Crap. <laughs> the old Athens <laughs> defense. <laughs> Now, in uh, verse 16, it says this, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, true or false, we live in a world full of idols, and those idols can be found in movie theaters. True. 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 Okay, a little bit later, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, Mars, Mars Hill, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man to every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Let's just stop there for a minute, guys. Okay. What's your definition of a Jesus juke again? It's when somebody Uh, looks around at the idols, Mm -hmm. right? Like a, a movie. Yeah. In a movie theater. Yeah. And says, I perceive that you like idols. Let me tell you about Jesus, who, while you are, I'm just quoting scripture here. While you are seeking God in the hope that you might feel your way toward him and find him, this is what you're doing with these idols and with these movies. You're seeking God that you may feel your way toward him and find him. Let me proclaim to you this God that you're seeking and trying to grope in the dark to find. And let me quote your own poets to you. Crap. So I can show you this God, this unknown God that you have missed out on. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. That sounds an awful lot like the formula that... uh, these articles that you have slanderously called poppertunism are doing. It looks I, like they're just trying to follow the pattern of the Apostle Paul in Athens. You're, you're, I didn't say that. <laughs> that was <laughs> Nathan. You got a little tower. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I was, I was, right, I was right over here. <laughs> I, I have never right been here. more shoved under a bus <laughs> than I am now. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, devil. No, I re- I'm 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 tempted to rest my case, but I'll I'll let you rebut. I, I, I think you should just keep reading. Keep reading. <clears throat> okay, fine. I thought that was enough to just completely silence you. No, but I think the uh, the next part of this is kind of important, actually, devil. All right, all right. 
being then God's offspring, see, referencing the poets, finding the common ground with the poets, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or Christian gray, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when others heard the resurrection, some mocked. The others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman, <clears throat> and a woman named Damaris Ooh. and others with them. Boom. I like that you're just, you read all of that in your devil voice. <laughs> and a woman. <laughs> Jake's slinking around the studio. <laughs> Prancing up and kind of looking well, over someone's shoulder. I just wanted to shoulder. rub it in your face that it was a woman and y'all are a bunch of misogynists in case you forgot. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'll give you that. Well, but devil. <laughs> devil. <laughs> the part where you said the times of ignorance. Uh-huh. And and the part where yeah, it's like talking he, he to children. It's the very world. sweet. I, no, I don't think <laughs> it doesn't sound sweet to me. Just patting them on the head. No, it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like what he's actually saying is actually y'all suck, and you need to start worshiping the real God before you get judged. No, he went out of his way to establish common ground with. Them. No, I think he and brought so he laid the smack down in a way that Rebecca McLaughlin never laid the smack down. What she basically says is, if you believe, if you feel yourself enticed by Christian gray, then the, the, the real allurement that you're finding is, is Jesus. Right? And, but, As you see God in the hope that you might feel your way toward him and find him, what you're really seeking is this God. And then it says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So like times of ignorance, God overlooked. He's very kind and patient. If Rebecca was going to actually apply the Pauline formula, she would say, now, your desires for Christian Grey, they're completely wicked and horrible, and you need to repent of them. And if you don't, you'll be judged. Here's the thing. You're being completely dismissive of the entire first part of this. The Apostle Paul comes, he looks around, he sees the idols, and he uses that as a leverage point. And he says, I see that you're very religious, because I passed... And I observed the objects of your worship. I found, a, I, I, I drove past, I saw the movie theaters. I looked in each of your homes as I entered this city and I saw at the center of your home was a TV. I perceive that you're a very religious people and that you're looking and you're longing. And what you're actually longing for is God. And this is the God I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made heaven and earth and everything in it. And he made you and he knows you. He allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek him in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. What he's saying is all of this display of religiosity is you seeking and groping after God. This is the God I'm going to proclaim to you. And then he quotes their poets. In him we live and move and have our being, or as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. He's finding that common ground with him. You're just totally blowing that off like it's nothing. And like that's a, you, you're trying to argue that that's not a valid way of talking to people or a valid way of engaging the culture. It is being completely completely dismissive. So anybody that tries to engage the culture on that level of, I, I see that you have these desires, these ways that you're seeking and groping after God. Let me tell you the God that those desires point to. You're just being entirely dismissive of all of that. And so you're being entirely dismissive of the Apostle Paul here. <sighs> well, ben, I feel like, hmm. you know, I feel like Poe Dameron. Oh, man. In the latest... Hashtag Star Wars film. Oh. I feel like Poe Dameron when, when 
you know, he thought he was going to like take over the ship and yeah. lead a resistance against the bad resistance. Yeah. And then Haldo, she just, no, no, it's Princess Leia, in fact. Oh, or not, no, I'm sorry. Man. That was misogynist of me. I apologize. Not Princess Leia. General. General Leia. Oh. General Leia, she just comes in and what is she? She unleashes a stun ray against him and Haldo goes down. I feel like, or no, not Haldo. Wow, man. No. You're just, yeah. I feel like Poe. Like, I thought like I was going to bring my, my masculine virility against all these women, these lame, pathetic women. And well, Jake, in the form of General Leia, or just, General Leia, just, I should say, in the form of Jake, <laughs> <laughs> just brought the stun ray of the Apostle Paul against me, and I wow. went down. Yeah. Yeah, I feel more like Peter Parker. <laughs> just kind of trying to get things together and be a good superhero and just getting beat up and not being able to get a date and then got all this tony stark takes my suit away and stuff i i just i don't know what to do here i don't know why that ties into the <laughs> any of what we're talking about what? i just tried to tell you, you how generally I feel. feel bad about yourself <laughs> yeah that's how i feel i played the devil and i feel like on the one hand i was thor throwing the hammer at the devil, and then I feel like I turned around and I caught it and I crushed it in my own hand. Like as the oh, devil, man. you were as Kate devil, Blanchett. Yeah, I was Kate Blanchett, yeah. Oh, but wow. Jake, I just want to say you worked for Kate Blanchett. <laughs> you were Kate Blanchett, my friend, and you crushed that the hammer. Like, we thought we were going to take this article down, but Kate Blanchett that rules over Hyperion, or what's the name of <laughs> Thor's? Asgard. Asgard, yeah. Oh, man. Whatever that world is called. <sighs> It's, Asgard isn't a place anyway, so it's maybe people. there's still hope for for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and Peter Parker, he just had to take responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Poe just kind of had to learn his lesson, and then he could be in charge. Right. Yeah. As long as he learned to... What lesson did Poe learn in that uh, thing? Uh, shut up and trust the women. <laughs> shut, 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 yeah. Po, yeah. <laughs> All right, but I don't really want to shut up and trust... Rebecca Cause, well, because there is this whole <laughs> this whole thing here about walking into Athens, standing up and saying, uh, y'all are ignorant and you need to repent. And if you don't repent, God's fixed the day when he will judge you in righteousness by the one whom he's appointed. And he's given us assurance of this by raising that man from the dead. And then they all scoffed at him or some, it says some mocked. Because the resurrection of the dead, ho ho. So here's here's the difference between the Apostle Paul and Rebecca. Uh, what's her Rebecca McLaughlin? Ben, I that's believe? right, yeah. McLaughlin. Here's the the difference between the Apostle Paul and Miss McLaughlin. She wants to focus on that one place, feel their way toward him, and find him. And then she wants to turn around and say, "Look, here's every desire. Every desire points to Jesus, and He is the fulfillment." of your every desire, and he can make you truly happier. She walks into the Areopagus. She says, you have all of these idols because you're all seeking and groping, and you can't make enough idols to fill you up, so you have even this idol to the unknown God. But there is a God that can fill you up, and he loves you very much and has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you would just turn to him with your desires to be fulfilled and to have intimacy, you would have the intimacy that you're seeking after. But that's not what the Apostle Paul does. He says, this is the city of learning, and you guys are ignorant because you don't know the God that made you. And he is revealing himself to you now, and he's commanding you to repent. And yeah, the Apostle Paul did find common ground. He right. did find the idols. He did find an angle. He did find a way in. And he did quote their poets to them. But he didn't quote like their sex rituals to them. <laughs> yeah. That's he didn't go talk point. about the temple prostitutes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There's a big difference between saying... Here's why your dumb idol 
reminds me of God, that's fine. But saying, here's why God is actually kind of like your dumb idol that you like. A better version, Mm. the bigger, better version of your dumb idol. (laughs) It can, in the practical outworking of that, it can be pretty subtle, the difference between doing the one and doing the other. But it's the difference between idolatry, holiness. I mean, it's the difference between doing what the Apostle Paul does and selling out God, borderline blaspheming, and just doing whatever awful thing she's doing here. It's the difference between cheapening God and bringing him down to the level of something like Fifty Shades, and the difference... Well, we're going to compare... We're actually comparing Jesus to Christian Grey here. Right. Is what we're doing. That's right. And... And this is this is what's being held up. If you think that Christian Grey can satisfy you, just wait till you try Jesus. Right. And it's so disgusting. Right. Satan prowls like a roaring lion. Jesus is a lion. Lions are cool. Yeah. Jesus, uh, Satan comes to you as an angel of light because he's... He understands that your desire is for light. And so let's just explore all of the things about Satan that we're attracted to and find out how they're actually fulfilled in Jesus. Which is uh, pretty much always the opposite of the way that uh, the Bible does it. Right. (laughs) He comes to you as an angel of light. Be on guard. Beware. Run. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Expose them. Here's an easy one. Flee immorality. Like maybe if you don't have anything worthwhile to say about Fifty Shades of Grey, let's just not talk about Fifty Shades of Grey. Let's just not put it in people's heads. Let's not put a picture of Dakota Johnson in a nightie on the front of our thing. I don't know if she's not on a, in a nightie she's not. here, but still. So if you were to quantify, if you were to say, what's the difference between what we're trying to do versus what Rebecca McLaughlin's trying to do? If you're really trying to get at it. We might have a conversation about Star Wars where we never mention the name of Jesus Christ, but it will be implicit in the fact that we're talking about the law of God, we're talking about the way that God made the world, and we're comparing that to Star Wars and saying, what are they trying to say about the world? What are they trying to say about men and women? This was a big topic on the, the latest Star Wars movie, for example. And what does God say about the way that he made men and women? Which one's right? Which one reflects reality? In in other words, what we're trying to do is simply be discerning about Star Wars. What what she's trying to do is what? She's trying to... Well, she's not interested in being discerning about... Anything. Anything. What, What she will not do is hold up any standard of righteousness or sexual morality that in contrast to 50 shades of gray in fact what she's very careful to do is quickly pass over all of that and her shortcut is when she qualifies it right it's like even biblical christian sexual sexual morality which is right but it's unsatisfying uh, it's unsatisfying right and so she wants to say we're all in the same boat guys even christians who think they've got it right we're all in the same boat here because ultimately it's only in Jesus that we, she doesn't want to talk about uh, anything that's bad or evil or wicked about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey and what it is doing to people, their hearts, the way it's defiling their hearts and their minds as they engage with it. She, she doesn't want to touch that. No. What she wants to do is avoid the charge of being a hypocrite because... Her marriage is broken too and sinful and has problems and is inadequate and... Yeah, or, you know, Christians, you know, have bad marriages too, or Christians get divorced, and Christians blah, 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 and Christians are hypocrites. She doesn't doesn't even want to talk about any of that. She doesn't want to hit any hot buttons. She doesn't want to say anything about... She doesn't want to do anything helpful, in other words. Here's an idea. If we're going to talk about this, let's talk about your desire to be dominated. And let's talk about patriarchy. And let's talk about healthy authority and what that looks. Nope, we're not going to go anywhere near any of that stuff. That's off. Yeah, but like it's it's going to cause problems with people. That might actually get people to, uh, what happened to the Apostle Paul? Mock, mock. They mocked. 
My, my friend, my friend who said I'd let him spank me if he could, also took me for a helicopter ride, if the only response to her was this nebulous, well, you need to just uh, embrace Jesus, that's not going to be nearly as helpful. You know, if, if she actually came to our church and Jake started working with her as a pastor, Jake, would you just tell her she needed to embrace Jesus? Is that all you would do for, for my friend? No, I'd, I'd explore. I mean, you have to get I mean, it's a stupid question, right? Well, yeah, it's a very, yeah, it's a really stupid question because you have to address the goal is repentance. That's what the Apostle Paul is after. And you don't have repentance until you've touched sin. These people are in sin. They are worshiping idols formed by their own arts and imaginations and their own hands. God's overlooked it. Now he commands them to repent and turn to him, the God who made them because he's going to judge them. And so you have to find not the quickest avenue to common ground and desires that somehow can be traced and pointed to Jesus. You have to find the quickest avenue to sin. The people of Athens were proud. They thought they were wise. It's Athens, the the city of learning and philosophy. You're ignorant and foolish. He puts them on their heels and he calls them to repent. That's the way that you... So somebody who's caught up Fifty Shades of Grey... There are deeper things going on there that are sins, right? And those sins have to be addressed, and they have to be pulled out, and they have to be repented of. And what shallow, cheap grace Christians always want to do is paint over the work, the difficult work of of repentance and of justification, and then sanctification, which takes a lifetime. They want to paint over that with Jesus. They want to paint over the difficult work of actually loving people enough to talk to them and get into their lives and help them deal with their sins by saying. All you really need to do is just find your fulfillment in Jesus. Redirect find your, your fulfillment. Re- just redirect your longings. Yeah, and now and now look, I feel better about myself. <laughs> I feel relevant. I feel like I've engaged the culture, and I feel like I've done and said something. When in fact, I've not engaged the culture. I've been completely irrelevant. I've done and said nothing. I've loved no one. I've done zero good. Except I've given I've given a bunch of uh, Christians opportunity to take my article and share it and feel better about themselves as they continue to do nothing to love anybody or to engage in any kind of discerning way with the culture around them. And perpetuating that kind of garbage is just wicked. It, the worst kind of hypocrisy. It's total hypocrisy. To, to, to dress that up and pretend like that is being helpful, like that's being doing the work of, of God, that that's evangelistic, that that's promoting any kind of wisdom or discernment is just hypocrisy. It's the exact opposite of that. It's stupefying everybody. Christians are dumber for having read this article and thought that they have engaged with Fifty Shades of Grey. I, mean, I award her zero points. <laughs> <laughs> and may God truly have mercy on her soul. I, I know that that's a dumb Adam Sandler movie reference. Seriously, seriously. Like, this is counterproductive work. It's the counterfeit of the real thing. People, it's like a placebo or something. People take this. People try to eat, use this as nutrition and they're not being fed. They're not being helped. And that's why it makes us mad because, you know, you could say, well, in some vague, broad, big sense, I guess it's true what she's saying, but it's so the opposite of helpful. It's so counterfeit. It's so false that it's actually hurting people because people like my friend, for example, my work friend, they need something more than this from the church, from us. My work friend, if she was to come to church, what everyone would do is they'd end up spending time loving this person and talking to them about authority and helping them in their marriage and helping. And it's dirty work. It's a dirty work in the sense that you get you have to get your hands dirty, that it's painful, that it takes time, that it takes patience, that it takes kindness. 
if you just plaster over all that work in the name of Jesus, then it's the worst kind of Pharisaicalism. It's what the apostle uh, James talks about when he says, we just say faith, faith, and don't have works. When we tell people to go be, go be fed and be clothed, and we don't actually give them what they need, what good is that? That's what she's doing. Bringing it back to the Apostle Paul and what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul engaged with people, and he called them to repent. And here's another thing that I just want to say about this passage. If you think that the, the entirety of what the Apostle Paul said to the people of Athens there is full and complete in eight sentences, then you're wrong. The Apostle Paul did not deliver simply an eight-sentence sermon, and that was it. I don't believe that for a second. That This is a true, faithful, word-for-word account of what the Apostle Paul said. You think that's where it ended? You think that's all that was said? You think that was all the engagement? No. The Apostle Paul engaged with these people. And this is a good, God-inspired account of what he said. But man, come on. Well, the other thing, and you brushed, you, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but this is Athens we're talking about. This is Athens to this day, as we record this, is still a symbol for knowledge for intelligence, for earthly wisdom, and he accuses them of ignorance. That's not a little pat on the head. That's not him bringing them along. That's a grenade. That's right. I mean, and he knew that there was uh, it was it was completely calculated. And and anybody that wants to argue from this passage to you know you should know and where you're going into and have find common ground. Like, guess what? If the apostle Paul did that, the one thing he knew is that this was Athens. This was the city of philosophers. People, you know, the the description that we passed over, uh, I jumped in my reading from six, verse 16 all the way down to 22. But so this is what you miss. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the, of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. He took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new, right? So he's been engaging with the with the philosophers, with the Stoics, with the Epicureans. He knows what he's in. He knows what he's about. He's been in the marketplace. He's been in the synagogues. He's been arguing with people. He's been preaching Jesus and Jesus resurrected from the dead. And finally, he's caused enough of a stir in preaching Jesus that he doesn't go to the Areopagus. They bring him there. And then he stands up among all of these people who think that they're philosophers, all these Stoics and Epicureans who think that they've, you know, they know Plato, they know Socrates, they know Aristotle. And he says, I perceive that you're a very religious people, which is actually, I think, in itself something of an insult, just because although the city's full of idols, these men, these learned philosophers, they're not worshiping all of these gods. They've studied their Plato. They're thinking about the good, and they're thinking about something bigger. And he says, I perceive that you're a very religious people. What you worshiped in ignorance, I'm now going to proclaim to you. So he calls them religious, and then he calls them ignorant. And he is just going right after them. And then he calls them and he says, calls them to repent and to worship a man who was raised from the dead, which couldn't have sounded any more like foolishness to them, which is what he talks about. After Athens, he goes to Corinth, and that's the, that's the church that he talks about in his letters to them, how the wisdom of God is foolishness to the Greek. He knows that. He didn't come there to play with their idols and show how their idols point to Jesus. He came there to smash their idols. So not that we'll ever know, but... If the Apostle Paul was to write the article, Fifty Shades of Love, what do you think he might say? Um, Well, I don't think he would write it. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. No. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> it's like, would the Apostle Paul have written an article on temple prostitution? Right. No, I don't think he would. I think if he did, he would say temple prostitution is evil. Right. Do not unite yourself to a prostitute. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now moving on to the next thing. Right. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that you would write. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I would never go to a temple prostitute. It's bad, but the desire that you feel. And I'm not bad. accusing you either, but. But <laughs> we all know temple prostitutes, very popular. The desires that people feel, well, actually, the true fulfillment of those desires are in your lover, Jesus, who will fulfill your every desire and take you to the moon oh, and back. Man. And yeah, it's it's just, so awful. It's gross. Read that quote again. All you right. have it in front of you still, right? Yeah, just one second. Just read that quote again. Let me go back up here. He can literally take us to the moon and back. Literally. And, and fulfill every dreamy <laughs> Wait, really? metaphor of well, every he actually love can. ever don't, written. Don't, he's omnipotent. No, don't don't enough, dispute enough, it. Fair enough. Yep, you're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, my and fulfill, small. And fulfill every dreamy metaphor of every love poem ever written. There's that poem again. Po- po- poem? Poem? Just every, fulfill every dreamy metaphor. Every dreamy every metaphor. Every love poem ever written. You know, I'm going to say, this is a side point, but I'm going to say there's a lot of dreamy metaphors that I don't think he is capable of fulfilling because he's not capable of acting against his own nature. So anyway. (laughs) That's really But he can fulfill the longing behind those metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. This is, but this this is the whole problem. This is the garbage that's being sold to you. It's whatever your longings are, whatever it is that you want. And desire, we're not going to pretend like, we're not going to talk about, we're not going to address the fact that those desires are bad. They're wrong, and they need to be repented of. They they don't need to be repented of. They just need to be fulfilled in Jesus. Your desire to be chained up in in a red room somewhere and abused... I'm not going to bother saying that that's right. We'll just skip over anything that's twisted or wrong or evil about those desires, either on the receiving or the acting end. No, no, those desires just need to be fulfilled in Jesus, and then those problems just all go away. Just fulfill it all in Jesus, who can fulfill all of the metaphors, all of the dreamy metaphors from every love poem ever written. We'll just kind of gloss over all of it. Yeah, it's so stupid. It really is. I started out going into this episode, I was thinking this article was dumb. The more we talk, I'm just like, this article's wicked. Because the real, the dreamy metaphor that the scripture uses for this kind of stuff is life and death. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you put to death by the spirit, 50 shades of gray, then you might have a chance at living. That's the gospel. Not whatever she's trying to sell us. You read the Proverbs and see what it says about the adulterous woman. Yeah. Read the... It doesn't say, when you desire the adulterous woman, what you're really desiring is lady wisdom. Nope. They're the opposite of each other. (laughs) (laughs) Something called antithesis. Right. (laughs) You have one, you have the other. You can't have both. One leads to death, the other leads to life. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. That sucks. Life is good. (laughs) 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 But if you desire death... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nobody really desires death it is demeaning it is cheap and it is blasphemous to compare the son of god in any way shape or form to christian gray even in some vague she actually has a subheading in this article that is christian love carrot sign is greater than christian gray christian love is personified in the article as jesus when she says christian love she's not talking about christian love she's talking about Jesus, Christian love is what wants you today, as opposed to mm-hmm. Christian gray. That's God. Yeah. That's her That's metaphor right. for God, and it's her cute way of c- comparing Jesus to Christian gray. Yeah. 
Yep. They should be ashamed of themselves. Gospel Coalition, if you're listening, you should take this article down and you should probably never publish anything by Rebecca, Rebecca McLaughlin, McLaughlin again. Despite her PhD from, from Oak Cambridge. Hill Seminary. No, her PhD is from Cambridge. Oh, yeah. She's got two of them. But, she, but she has a theology degree, divinity right. degree from mm-hmm. Hill Seminary in London. Huh. I'm depressed. You guys want to play a fun game? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> All right, guys, today, you know what? We had so much fun a couple episodes ago or whenever that was telling a fun story. Let's tell another fun story. All right. right. Once upon a time, there was a man named Ben Solzer. Nobody thought he was cool. And they were right. But they were also wrong (laughs) in a certain sense. (laughs) In the sense that he was, in fact, outside and it was a frigid temperature. And so he was technically cool. (laughs) But metaphorically or in the common vernacular, in the parlance of our times, he was definitely not cool. But it was a chilly day outside. And he, he had stood forgotten. outside contemplating his relative coolness versus his complete lack of coolness. And he thought to himself, man, if only I had superpowers right now, if only I could teleport like that one X-Men nightcrawler, <laughs> then people would think I was cool in the vernacular sense, not just in the temperature sense. And now you know why he was uncool. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, suddenly a wizard appeared. I am Melchior the wizard. He said, I will grant you a superpower, Ben, in exchange for $5. And Ben said, oh boy, (laughs) I want a superpower. What I really want more than anything else in the world is the superpower of... Nightcrawler, that X-Man. And so Ben was granted the power of Nightcrawler, the X-Man. But Ben had no idea how to use that power in any way. Ben, stop teleporting close to us. Just stop it, said everyone at school. Oh no, Ben, your lack of control over your ability to teleport has caused you to teleport yourself into the wall, fusing yourself with the wall, said Ben's mother one day. (laughs) Said Ben. And then he died. The end. (laughs) Yay! All right. Hey, Ben, you know what else? What? You engineered this program. I did. Just like I produced it. And Nick, Jacob Menzel, you, along with me, executive produced it. True. Until next time. Stay sane. <laughs>